The market is saturated. We are inundated with images and ads everywhere we look. People spend all day on their phones, and we have the unenviable task of crafting the kind of experience that can only happen in real life. Now, I've said it many times before, but the real currency these days is attention. So how then do you not only survive, but thrive in this new attention economy? We're going to get into that in this week's episode of Restaurant Strategy. Stick around. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly marketing podcast dedicated entirely to chefs and restaurant owners. Each week I choose a different topic, we explore that topic, we pick it apart, hopefully by the end we come across some useful insights, and then we always finish up with an assignment, a short actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing the concepts we talk about here on the show, because I believe information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, the experts have coined this the attention economy because the struggle for dollars really begins with the struggle for your attention. If a marketer can get your attention, they have a chance of making an impression which in time may lead to a sale. So we're bombarded with thousands of ads a day, billboards on the side of the road, uh, commercials on TV, sponsored ads on social media, but then also every tag, label, and logo you see. Think about that. Every time you see someone drinking a Diet Coke, the company has made an impression. Every time someone opens up their laptop and the Apple logo is on display to everyone else in the coffee shop, they're advertising. Every shopping bag you see, every car you walk past, every Nike swoosh that flies by. Brands are marketing to you every minute of every day, whether you're aware of it or not. So how then can a restaurant, your restaurant, possibly compete? That's the challenge these days. And as the kids say, the struggle is real, but it's something you have to acknowledge and accept. So the internet has made it easier than ever to connect with our customers. And yet, because of that, it's gotten harder and harder to stand out from the crowd. The world is a noisy place, but still, you have to find ways to make an impression on your audience, or uh, in a lot of cases, your prospective audience. So if you've been listening from the beginning, my apologies because I'm going to repeat myself, but this point is way too important to let slide, and I want to make sure that new listeners really hear this. Marketing is about identifying an audience that needs to be served. It's about finding a group that has a problem and then crafting a specific solution to that problem. With that in mind, we need to focus on two things and magnify those two things. Number one, what is the problem? And number two, what is our proposed solution? Now, you'll hear marketers talk about an audience's pain point, right? Identify the pain point, draw people's attention to it, and then show them the solution. So how do we do that? Well, in a bunch of different ways, actually. But the infomercials from the 80s are probably my favorite because they're the most overt example of this. 
Don't you just hate when this happens? Well, now there's this. So they spend the first half of the broadcast hammering home the problem. Like, remember the sham wow, right? They'd show us spills and drips and stains and explain how regular paper towels just didn't cut it. They'd show kids spilling soda on the carpeting and the dog dragging their muddy paws across the kitchen. The viewer watches intently, recognizing the problem. Ah, but there's a solution. The sham wow. And then they spend the next several minutes showing you what the product does. They are magnifying the problem and then magnifying the solution. That's great marketing. They know their audience so well that they can pinpoint the specific problem and then swoop in with an incredible solution to that very specific problem. Marketing restaurants is the same thing, but so many people out there don't think of it that way. So many people just make the restaurant they want to make. They open the doors and wait for the people to come rushing in without doing the hard work of trying to first understand their audience. So remember what I always say, marketing comes down to just three questions. Number one, what's the product? Number two, who's it for? And number three, how can you reach them? The marketer's day-to-day -day work is about answering that third question, but you can't do anything until you've answered the first two. So what's my point? The point to all of this is that it's a noisy marketplace, made noisier when you just put something out into the world hoping it reaches someone who may want the kind of experience you're offering. And that may work from time to time, uh, but I think you'd agree it lacks efficiency, which uh, becomes expensive and time-consuming. Better instead to be laser-focused and deliberate with your marketing efforts. If you know your audience and you know their problem, then hopefully you've crafted a specific solution to their specific problem. And so you can speak directly to that target audience. So uh, go with me here. It's like when you're traveling in a foreign country and everyone's speaking the native language all around you, but you're speaking English. And you happen to be shopping in a store and, and you call out to your friend who's maybe on the other side of the store and you ask them a question. And no one really turns to look at you because the message is not for them. If it had been, you would have communicated in their language, but your message was in English. It was specifically for your friend. You chose to speak a language that your friend would understand. The message is for them and only them. Marketing works the same way. You have to know your audience so you can learn to speak their language. So I'll give you another example of this. Let's say you're in a college town and opening up a cute little coffee shop that sells $6 lattes and handmade French pastries. Despite your location, you're probably not catering to the poor college kids who live in the area. Why not? Well, because they're going to the corner bagel shop where they can get a bagel sandwich and a coffee for three bucks. Your audience is probably the professors, the administrators, and you know, the soccer moms in town because they're the ones who will both appreciate the quality of what you're offering and will have the discretionary income to spend at your establishment. And you speak to them very differently than you would a 19-year-old getting her liberal arts degree. So your signage is going to appeal to one audience and not the other. The pricing is gonna signal something to your audience. The menu, the music, the location, all of it is part of the language you're speaking. And that's the first challenge of the attention economy. I want you to get this. With so many languages flashing in front of our eyes all day, you have to speak the language that will cut through the noise and reach your specific audience. 
The second challenge then has to do with the pain point of your particular audience. Now let's think about that for a second. The soccer moms have a problem that's very different than the undergrad, right? The undergrad is looking for a cheap breakfast they can eat on their way to class because they overslept and they don't have time to head all the way across campus to the dining hall. The soccer moms, though, are looking for something very different. They're looking for an oasis in a college town, the kind of place that caters just to them. They do have some money and are perhaps educated enough to know the difference between a good croissant and a bad one. They would rather spend their money on quality in the kind of environment where they know they can relax. So figure out their problem and then solve that problem or go in reverse. Build the restaurant that you believe in, but then you've got to figure out who it's for and you've got to figure out whose problem you're solving. So a personal story here because you know I like to do this from time to time. I live here uh, in New York City in a neighborhood of Brooklyn called Midwood. It's nothing fancy, but it works for us. It's, uh, it's safe. The apartment is affordable. We've got a great elementary school right down the street, and we're just half a block from the subway. It ticks a lot of boxes for us. But one glaring omission are the restaurants in the area. We are dying for a good bar or neighborhood restaurant, the kind of place we could go to on a Saturday night for dinner. But there's nothing. Instead, we have to get on a train and take the subway five stops where there are maybe half a dozen uh, dining options. So that's not the end of the world, but we spend our whole week on the subway. And so sometimes all we want is someplace nearby that we could walk to. So restaurateurs, if you are listening, I am telling you that there is a need in this neighborhood. There is an underserved community here in Midwood, Brooklyn, and I think the right kind of place could do very well. So that's the pain point. And whoever opens the first good tavern off this subway stop is going to kill it because they are going to be solving that specific problem. It's going to become a go-to spot for hundreds of people in the neighborhood. And P.S. There are a bunch of spaces just waiting to be converted in this area. So I am one audience here in the neighborhood, one specific demographic. But again, there is a pain point. I am looking to be served. So that's what I mean by understanding your audience. If you understand what I need, you can deliver what I need. If you don't take the time to understand your audience or take the time to figure out who your audience is, then you can't possibly begin to do any of the other work required to pack your restaurant. What language does your audience speak? You have to know. Okay, so then let's say you figure that out. Let's say you figure out your audience, you learn about their pain point, you learn their language. What next? Well, that's where the real work begins. And the way I see it, attention is about focusing in on these four areas. Number one, how do we get people's attention in the first place? Number two, what do we do with people's attention once we get it? Number three, can we craft an experience that delivers on the promise we made to that diner? Meaning, they've given us their attention and are we honoring that? And then finally, number four, what are we doing to magnify the impact of people who give us their attention? So let's break all of that down. Let's get into it. The truth is, attention is a scarce commodity. People only have so much to give. So how then can you possibly compete with all of the other distractions out there? How do you cut through the noise? How do you stand out? Number one, how do we get people's attention? Like we just spoke about, make sure you know your audience, make sure you're speaking their language. 
Make sure the prices, signage, menu, and music are in line. Make sure your website and your social pages are aligned so that you can reach the desired audience. Then make sure you know what your audience wants so that you can deliver on that. Identify a problem and then solve the problem. Present yourself as the answer to their prayers. And there are many, many ways to get this message out. The next part, go to where the people are as opposed to waiting for them to come to you. This is, of course, why most businesses use social media to promote their restaurant, right? People are on these apps, and so it makes a lot of sense to put yourself in front of those people by posting on Facebook and Instagram. But make sure it doesn't stop there. Think about how to reach people in the real world. So that might mean billboards or flyers or postcards or running ads in a local magazine or a newspaper. It might also mean um, taking a more grassroots approach. Uh, If you listened to last week's episode, we spoke to Nathan Mergen. He's the chef and owner of a place called 107 State in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, And he was talking about stuffing flyers under the doors in the Capitol building because they're just a block away from the state Capitol. So it's just another example of going to where the people are. I'll tell you another story of a client that I was working with this past summer. Um, So they opened up a place in Manhattan. It was right on 29th Street. And they kept saying they needed to fill the restaurant. They needed to fill the restaurant. And they said, let's run uh, Facebook ads and give away drinks or free meals, whatever it takes. We're, you know, we're, we're committed. And I stopped them and said, yeah, I do digital marketing. We'll get to that. But that shouldn't ever replace real world marketing. And so... They asked me, well, what should we do then? And I laid out this plan. It was scrappy, but I knew it would work. So they plopped their place down on 29th Street, uh, but they hardly knew their area. And I've spent the last 17 years uh, here in the city, and I've split my career uh, working in the arts and working in hospitality, and I've spent a lot of time working in theater. And so what these guys didn't know, and I did know, is that there are a bunch of improv theaters and sketch comedy troops um, that rehearse and perform in that area, specifically on 29th Street. So this is what I explained to them. Improv troops and sketch comedy troops book their theaters for an hour or an hour and a half at a time. So there's a show at 6.30, 8, 9.30, 11, and then a late show at midnight, let's say. And they're all different sketch troops. And I said... I would go to their website and look at the calendar. There's four, five, six different troops every night of the week. And I would find a way to reach out to them directly and offer them free drink tickets. If you're willing to give away free drinks or free food, then do it in a more targeted way. So reach out to the two people who are putting on a show at the the Magnet Theater right down the street and say, hey, we want to give you uh, 10 free drink tickets. And so what happens is that people come to see the show They've got friends and, and, and colleagues and family, and, and they come out to see the show. And so they can tell people, hey, if you come see the show, you'll get a free drink afterwards. I said, so give these people 10 free drink tickets, 20 drink tickets, 30 drink tickets, whatever you think. And so they're going to they're gonna go for a drink after the show. They're going to you know collect with their friends and their, their colleagues, and they're going to go somewhere. Why not here? I think if you gave them a you know, free round of drinks, you know, 20 drink tickets, uh, they would come to your place. And invariably, they're going to stay for a second drink or a third drink. Uh, somebody's going to be hungry. They're going to order some food or, or people are going to order a bunch of appetizers for the table. Um, so you're going to get people in the door by just giving away 10 or 20 drinks. Um, then what happens is that they tell other people and other people tell other people. And then next week they're doing a show and they're just going to recommend this place. Hey, I went here last week. We should go there. It's really, really great. 
if you do this night after night after night after night, you're building a grassroots movement. You're introducing your brand to tons of people every single night. Now, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedication, commitment. But if you're going to do it, you might as well do it. So so that's what I think you need to do. You know, you need to think about those those kind of grassroots approaches. Um, incidentally, uh, that brand didn't take me up in the, on the offer. They didn't listen to me. They didn't believe me. And they're still pretty much where they uh, where they are. So they brought me in to consult for six months and, and now the contract's done and they didn't do uh, most of what I was recommending. And, and again, they're in the same place they were. And I can't help but, um, but think, it's like, what would it have hurt to have tried? Um, I, I think they would have seen. A, I think they would have seen a big boost in business. But you know, uh, there's nothing. There's nothing we could do about that now. So, in any event, that's the first section, right? Number one, how do we get people's attention? Um, you get people's attention um, uh, by going to where they are and by understanding them. Note. I didn't mention anything about gimmicks or sales or cheap promotions or deep discounts. If sales and coupons are in line with the brand you're trying to build, okay, then great, do it. But you don't have to resort to that. So I'm talking about forging a deep, meaningful connection with your audience. That's the first part. When we get to the second part, number two, what do we do with people's attention once we do get it? So the leap out of obscurity is a tough one to make. Just just getting on the customer's radar takes time and effort. But the leap from known to trusted is an even wider chasm that you're going to have to bridge. So think about all the restaurants in your area. Think about the places you drive past every single day. How many of those have you been to? What's kept you from trying some of the others? If you're like most people, there isn't just one answer. It's a it's a combination of reasons, right? Well, I heard bad things about that place or, or that restaurant's really tough to get into. Oh, that one over there is really uh, kind of expensive. Uh, that one's for a younger crowd. Oh, that one isn't really good for, for people with kids and families and so on and so on and so on. But one of two things are happening when, when you do this. Either number one, They've all perfected their marketing, right? All these restaurants have perfected their marketing and they have a very narrow audience and you just obviously are not their target audience. Or number two, and perhaps more likely, they're really, really bad at marketing and they haven't properly communicated to you why you may be the perfect audience. So the problem for all of those places that you drive past isn't obscurity because you know them, you've seen them, you, you, you know where they are, the name is registered, uh, but you keep driving past. So their problem has to do with something else and I think it has to do with trust. They haven't earned your trust yet. Going out to eat is expensive. Even a, a cheap burger joint costs four or five times what it would cost you to just buy ground beef and hamburger buns and make dinner at home. So people want to know that it's going to be worth it, worth the cost and worth the time. You have to build up trust between you and the consumer. And I think this is partially why social media has become so valuable to restaurants. The consumer sees images day after day after day of the of the restaurant's food and drinks and dining room. We get to know the people and the, and the ethos of the establishment. Um, they can get a sense of what the restaurant is all about just by checking in every day or two. So maybe one beautiful picture doesn't convince them to book a reservation, but the sum total of all of those images may eventually sway the diner. At the very least, it's building up trust. In time, they get to see what you do and will come to rely on you for that. So that's just one easy example. 
but think about some of the other ways you can build trust with a consumer. It's different for each business, depending on your size, your style, your market. Some businesses out there might be able to build trust with their audience by participating in uh, community events like street fairs and block parties. Others might want to make donations to charity events. Some will partner with other businesses in the area. Others will focus on improving their Yelp ratings, whatever it is. And those are just a handful of ideas. Whatever it is, make sure you understand how important trust is when it comes to forging a relationship with your customer. Of course, the easiest and best way to build trust with a customer or a prospective customer is to make sure the meal is as good as it can be. Making sure you exceed the guest expectations. That works on so many levels. Number one, the first time diner who decides to give you a try may in time become a repeat customer or even a regular. That same first time diner will eventually spread the word about you if they have a great experience. And we know how valuable word of mouth is in our industry. Word will get out and eventually some of that feedback may sway a potential customer to come try you out. But number three is all about building on this idea. So the third piece of this, can we craft an experience that takes that trust and delivers, delivers on the promise we make with the diner, meaning they've given us their attention their trust, and now their money, what are we giving them in return? So this is a funny thing to worry about, right? But it's important. Our first hurdle was obscurity. Then it was trust, and now we get to expectations. Marketers uh, will often talk about the brand promise, and, and by that we just mean this. The customer pays you money in exchange for something. What is that something? Are you communicating clearly with your audience so that they have a solid understanding of what they are getting for their money? Is there value in the transaction? Does the product match the customer's expectations? At the very least, you have to meet the customer's expectations, but I believe the very best businesses exceed those expectations. So this is where we have to talk about the product itself, which we've talked about over and over and over again. The product is the experience. Not just the food, but also the service and the decor and the beverage and the pricing. You gotta make sure it's all in line. When a person makes a reservation at a restaurant to celebrate, let's say their anniversary, they've come to some conclusion about you. They've looked at pictures of your restaurant and checked out your social media pages, and they've perused your menus online and, and talked to friends or, or checked out online reviews, and they did that for a bunch of places, I bet, and they decided on you. So if your place isn't actually romantic, they're gonna be disappointed. If the pictures misrepresent your restaurant, these people are gonna be annoyed. Your marketing makes a promise with the consumer. So Seth Godin is someone I speak about all the time on this podcast. He's got an incredible podcast of his own called Akimbo. It is well worth checking out. But he also runs a bunch of different online courses, two of which I've taken. One of those is called The Marketing Seminar, and it is absolutely brilliant. It is worth every dollar I spent to take the class. Incidentally, the next session is about to happen, and I'm going to include the link in the show notes for anyone who's interested. And I'll tell you, uh, there's a special discount if you look for the purple button. But anyway, one of the first lessons in that marketing seminar is all about this idea of people like us do things like this. Wrapped up in that is the concept of audience, right? Understanding who the us is, and then the promise, what is this? People like us go out for romantic meals for our anniversary. 
There are many restaurants who can claim that sentence as their own, but you communicate all of that through the dialogue you have with the consumer. And that dialogue rarely happens over the phone or in person anymore, so you can't just say it with words. It happens online, and it happens through you know, some of your prior customers. It happens by word of mouth. So you have to make sure you know what kind of experience you're crafting and then articulate that to the audience you wish to reach. Um, the married couples, in this case, looking for a romantic spot to celebrate their anniversaries. But you can craft that sentence a thousand different ways. People like us go to sports bars for the big game on Saturdays. People like us want a cheap place for the kids. People like us want a quick bite near the train station. People like us want a quality meal at the airport. People like us believe organic, sustainable products are best, and so on and so on. You, you get the point. Um, a sports bar in a college town that caters to the students will have cheap drinks, wing specials, and lots of TVs. On the other hand, a sports bar in a college town may also prefer to cater to the parents and the alumni instead, and so they'll have a more expensive menu with expensive craft beers and no discounts. Either way is fine, but you're going after different audiences and you have to serve them differently, thus speaking to them differently. So. Finally, all of that gets us to number four. What are we doing to magnify the impact of people giving us their attention and their dollars? Right, so in that college town, there are a lot of places that serve food and show the game on Saturdays. What makes someone choose this place instead of that one? And how do we magnify their experience when they do choose us? I spoke about this earlier and I say it often, but it bears repeating. Word of mouth continues to be the most important marketing tool out there. So I'm always thinking about the guest experience and thinking to myself, what would be so great that they couldn't help but talk about it? A quick story to illustrate my point. So fine dining restaurants are often very expensive, but it's been said that there's a ton of value in those kind of experiences, meaning you get a lot for your money. Often the chef will send out an amuse-bouche or canapes to start the meal and maybe pedophores at the end of the meal, all meant to exceed the guest's expectations in one way or another. But years ago, one of the first really nice meals my wife and I went to uh, here in New York City, uh, we went to Blue Hill down in the village. And it's the sister restaurant to the larger, more famous Blue Hill at Stone Barns that's up in Tarrytown, uh, just north of the city. Um, uh, but the meal was the meal was just okay. We, um, we sat in a weird little room in the back of the restaurant, and I hardly remember uh, any of the food. Uh, but we had a great time regardless. And I always tell the story of our dessert course. So... Our desserts are served and we're sitting there enjoying them and a few minutes go by and then our server returns to the table with what looks like a plate of cookies and two jars of jam. She says, well, these are fresh Madelines. We put them in the oven when you ordered your dessert so they'd be warm when we serve them. And then here we have two different jams that we make at the farm upstate. She then explains the flavors, opens the jars and leaves us with a couple of small spoons. And we were like, whoa. So we try the Madelines and they're excellent. And so are the jams. And a few minutes later, we, uh, we finish up our desserts and we ask for the check and our server comes back with our bill and a little container. And she closes up the two little jars of jam and sets them into this container and says, you know, these are for you to take home. We hope you'll continue to enjoy them. Well, the jams both had the Blue Hill logo on them and so did the special container that she brought to us. And we left with a cool story that we've been talking about for, I'm not kidding, the last 15 years. They exceeded our expectations in a bunch of different ways and we were so surprised that we couldn't help but talk about it. 
they delivered an experience that was meant to be shared. Literally, the jam would get shared with friends over the coming weeks. Uh, I remember we had people over the, the following weekend for dinner at our place, and we, we put out a bunch of cheeses for everyone to enjoy. And you better believe it that we put out those two jams and retold this story. So that one little touch that, that couldn't have cost them more than a couple of bucks ended up having a pretty big reach. They found a way to magnify the experience, to deliver on the promise that they made, and to give us a way to, to magnify our own experience, to share our own experience. Now, this can be achieved in a variety of ways, not just by giving stuff away. It's, it's different for every market, at every price point, for every restaurant. Uh, for example, think about Starbucks. They were probably uh, one of the first coffee shops to put a, a little dressing station by the front. So instead of ordering your coffee and then telling the barista exactly how you like your coffee, the people who ran Starbucks said, well, uh, what if we just let them make it exactly how they like it? And now all these years later, it's become the norm. But consider how revolutionary that was in the beginning, how that changed the experience of, of ordering coffee. So what are the things you can do to exceed your guests' expectations? Maybe it's a dramatic presentation of the food. Right Years ago, I think of David Burke, um, he used to serve his double-cut bacon appetizer by, by hanging the strips of bacon from what looked like a little clothesline with, with actual clothespins. Um, or think about restaurants that serve a chicken for two or a big bone-in ribeye for two. Uh, or how when somebody orders fajitas in a Mexican restaurant and the, and the sizzling plate goes by across the dining room. Or maybe it's just the, the little service touches, the little ways you can go above and beyond. Right? There are places that have pashminas on hand in case someone gets cold in the dining room or an extra pillow in case someone needs some lower back support or a box of reading glasses for people who left their glasses at home. Uh, I think of years ago, I had worked at a restaurant um, up in Westchester. I opened the place. It was about an hour north of New York City and we had a valet out front and we approached the valet very differently uh, than most of the other places up there, uh, probably because uh, all of us who were working there in the restaurant weren't used to car culture. We were used to New York City. Uh, but we thought long and hard about how to improve uh, valet service, which actually then led us to thinking uh, about the, the ending of every meal. We rethought everything. Uh, we wondered how can we streamline the process and make it more efficient? Uh, so what we decided was that we never gave people coat check tickets. Instead, we organized the coat closet by tables. So when table 15 got up, the captain told us at the front podium and we started preparing their coats. When the captain picked up the signed check, he would say to the uh, the table, thank you so much. And uh, just so you know, we've already retrieved your coats. They're right over there by the podium. I hope you enjoy your night. At that point, I would call down to the valet stand and alert them that table 15 has paid and they were about to put on their coats. They would know which cars were at table 15 and they would go retrieve the cars and start warming them up. So then when the people came to the front podium to get their coats, we would let them know that we also alerted the valets who were already warming up your cars. It was such a nice little touch, one simple way that we, um, that we wound up exceeding the expectations at the end of just about every single meal up there. So think about every aspect of the experience and find spots where you can go above and beyond. The thing is, now we're going to bring this conversation full circle. So when people have so many different dining options, you want to find ways to cut through the noise. Remember, this episode is all about the attention economy. The little thing like the fresh Madelines is something that gets the diner's attention, but then it also acknowledges their patronage. It's a way that Blue Hill thanks their diners for choosing their restaurant instead of another. Note that I'm not talking about cheap gimmicks to get people's attention. I'm talking about finding meaningful ways to go above and beyond, ways to exceed the guest's expectation and thank them for giving you their attention. 
because time is more precious than money. You can always make more money, but once time is gone, it's gone, and there's no way of getting it back. So again, the four areas we talked about today are, number one, how do we get people's attention in the first place? Number two, what do we do with the people's attention once we get it? Number three, uh, we talked about crafting an experience that delivers on the promise we made with the diner, meaning they've given their attention. Are we honoring that? How can we go above and beyond and exceed their expectations? And then number four, what are we doing specifically to magnify the impact of people giving us their attention? For this week's assignment, I want you to brainstorm three ways you can incorporate this idea into your business, just three, and then implement at least one of them. If you think of it, uh, send me an email and let me know how it went, what, what you decided on, uh, how you implemented it, and then what the results were. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and, and how you tested it to make it better. And then finally, as we always do, uh, today's continuing education, uh, I'm going to urge you to pick up Gary Vaynerchuk's book, The Thank You Economy. In, uh, in many ways, it deals with this exact subject, and it's well worth the read. If you haven't done so yet, please pick up a copy. You'll find the link in the show notes. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but uh, I was reminded again this week just how important reviews and ratings are for new podcasts. Um, this podcast is six months old, but it's still considered a new podcast. We've captured an incredible following so far, but if we want to break through to reach an even larger audience, the five-star ratings will really help boost us in the rankings. Specifically on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating really helps us out and takes just a second to do. Uh, if you want to give us a review too, let us know uh, why you love the show and, and help other restaurant owners out there find us. Uh, also on Stitcher, uh, I just noticed that we have uh, two reviews up there uh, from Charles and Scott. If you guys are listening, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad you're getting a lot out of the show. Please keep spreading the word. Uh, everyone, uh, I will see you back here next time. Thanks again. Later. Later.